The Final Furlong Podcast is brought to you by Venetour Racing Social. If you are planning a racing trip to Europe or further afield, check out Venetour Racing Social for a large range of bespoke racing holidays at venetour.co.uk. Now, here's your host, Emmett Kennedy. Oh, hello, and welcome to the show as we count down and preview the York Ebor meeting. Really looking forward to this. We don't have quite the massive field size that I was expecting for the Jumpmont International, although I wasn't really expecting a massive field size, but I thought we'd get more than four. Anyway, we are going to have Paddington against Nashua, and of course the Royal Ascot hero, Mostadaf. Um, we'll talk about that. We're also going to have Rafe Beckett on to talk to us about his leading contenders, the latest on Westover, and we'll get some... We'll sneak in some chat about everybody's favourite topic, the whip rules, with Rafe a little bit later as well. A CEO of York Racecourse, William Darby, will be here to give us the latest on the track, how things are looking, and what to expect for the week. We'll announce the three winners of our tickets for Coolmore Race Day uh, at York Racecourse. We'll do that with William a little bit later on. And joining us to break down all the big races is my TalkSport 2 colleague, Lucy Russell-Hughes. Lucy, welcome back to the show. Hi, Emmett. Yeah, um, thanks. Good to be back, I suppose. And I think the last time I joined you on the pod was probably in the depths of the winter. It might have been the middle of the jump season. That's right. It was. It's been too it long. Been, yeah. It's been too long. There's been a there's been a fair bit of stuff going on uh, in in my personal life, which kind of just derailed things a little bit and kind of made my mind just struggle to actually focus on on certain things. Uh, and thank you to everybody for the those who know, but for the kind words about that. Maybe I shouldn't even be saying it now, but anyway. Um, yeah, hug the one you hug the ones you love. Um, you never quite know what's going on. But anyway, um, we got a big week of racing to look forward to. We've we've released the sauna podcast. That's why that was delayed um, as well. I was trying to focus on other things. And uh, if you haven't listened to it yet, it's available on your on this very podcast app that you're listening to this episode of the Final Forum Podcast on now. It's just below this episode in your podcast feed. Um, it's a good listen. There's some really good content there from Tom Marquand, ex-CEO of the PGA, Paul Struthers. We've got Louis Stewart, uh, Tony McCormick making his first appearance on the show. Our colleague at TalkSport 2, really like Tony, uh, and enjoyed having him on the show alongside uh, the brilliant Lizzie Kelly. She has taken her punditry game to a whole new level. She's been fantastic and um, did not hold back in her criticism of the PHA uh, at all. Um, Abby McGregor sent a very interesting text about what Lizzie had to say. She's like, this is explosive. And uh, Brendan Powell is there as well. Brendan and Louis both break down just how important the saunas are for jockeys, but also don't hide about how difficult uh, the life of a jockey is in terms of their diet. So if you want to understand the sauna ban a little bit more, how it came to be, why it's now gone to boiling point, that's literally the headline of that episode because we do love puns on the final furlong. Um, then listen to it. And if you haven't listened to the whip special um, and the controversy surrounding that and what the jockeys really knew, which is nothing, they didn't know anything about the severe punishments that were going to come in for the new rules until they were published. Um, that episode is available for you just behind that one. So they're the two most recent podcasts we've done. Um, I've had some DMs from people asking me, has Dale Gibson got back to you and explained why he was telling Martin Dwyer and others that there was a non-disclosure agreement in place when there wasn't? Uh, no. No, he has not. And I believe that's now, is it 10 days? So he did get back to us after 46 hours to confirm there was no non-disclosure agreement. But the follow-up question was asked two minutes after he sent that, saying, so why did you tell Martin Dwyer there was a non-disclosure agreement? 
silence. Tumbleweeds, Lucy. So we'll we'll explore that um, when we can, of course. But right now, uh, let's bring in top trainer Rafe Beckett. Uh, Rafe, welcome to the Final Forum Podcast. It is great to have your company. Good morning. First of all, before I get to York, I have to ask how the mighty Westover is doing after that epic run in the King George. He's very well and um, training well. Uh, he came out of the race um, better than I think any of us hoped. Um, and we're, you know, he's on track for the Arc de Triomphe. Whether he runs beforehand, uh, we're still to debate but we'll make a decision on that uh, early next month. I know there was a discussion at some point about possibly going up in distance with him, which I think made perfect sense. But given how well he's been doing, he went extremely close in the Coronation Cup. That was a fantastic Group 1 success in saint Cloud. The King George really is the key run here. Is that now off the table? It is. It's ironic, isn't it? But having talked about it for so long amongst ourselves... It is it is off the table because you know the because the, the arc makes make, makes very good sense if it, as long as it's not um, we don't have conditions like last year uh, <laughs> when it was bottomless uh, yeah and he, he still ran a fine race that day but uh, as long as we don't get that then he's a probable uh, all things being equal. What's he like to train? Because looking at his form this season, it's been a stellar campaign. He's been beaten by the world's highest rated racehorse. And the more we see of Equinox, the more special that horse looks. He's had to give weight to a high-class filly in Emily Upjohn. And maybe things didn't quite pan out for him that day. And he's very narrowly beaten in the strongest renewal of the King George we've seen for a decade. So what is he like to be around and, and to look after? He's a very straightforward horse to deal with, really. Other than he's quite an exuberant horse. Uh, in the morning, so you know he has he has uh, two two uh, two r- regular riders. Uh, both have been with us for a long time. Uh, a, 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 a Brazilian Cardoso, who's 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 one of our head men as well, has been with me for uh, sixteen or seventeen years, and a, and a very good girl who's been with us since school, um, Beth Daly, uh, since teething school, and uh, you know they, they cope with him very well. He's not a horse who actually needs that much fast work because he does it all himself. In the run up to uh, in the run up to Ascot, he had an away day. We took him to the beach at Hailing Island, uh, w- which we've done several times in the past. We did that before he won the Irish Derby as well. Uh, he really enjoys that, um, but he he didn't actually do any fast work between the uh, Grand Prix Saint Cloud and the, the 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 King George. He he just doesn't he doesn't need it. If he weighs the same every week, then we uh, we leave him alone and uh, uh, and and gallop him only when necessary. And that's probably um, something we've learned over the last year or so. Obviously, he blew out in the King George of, of twenty two, and uh, you, you know we learned our lesson the hard way that that day. Uh, and 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 uh, you know it's, it's it's gone very well since. So uh, yeah, he he'll probably he might go he he might have a racecourse gallop before before the arc. Uh, he'll probably go to the beach as well. Um, but uh, we won't we won't change his daily routine particularly. Uh, he doesn't he, he he probably does more on or as much on the all weather. Uh, you know, bowling along every morning as he as he does when 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 we ask him to do some fast work on the grass gallop. So um, you know, it's he's a, he's a joy to train, really. He's a joy to watch. Have you thought much about what will happen after the arc? Is the Breeders' Cup turf a possible or Japan possibly? 
I, I think the Breeders' Cup turf is a race that we, I'd be really keen on because I think it would really suit him. Mm. Well, the other thing, you know, uh, uh, but equally, Japan would be a good idea, as would uh, as as would Hong Kong. Um, you know, as we saw in Dubai, he really he really enjoyed the change of scenery. Um, he's a horse who 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 really thrived in Dubai. Uh, even though we had a sort of slightly fraught uh, couple of days um, after he landed there, his first day on the track didn't go well. He did two laps of the training track at Maidan when he was only supposed to do one. Oh, I forgot um, that. But That's right. He, <laughs> he was really uh, enjoying but, his holidays in Dubai. <laughs> If you really did uh, more than we uh, more than we imagined, of course. Again, that was the first time we'd been away apart from overnight, and we we, we perhaps uh, we we perhaps weren't ready for him. He was ready for it, but we weren't ready for him. So uh, uh, um, anyway, we got over it, and uh, uh, yeah, he, you know, he, as I say, he, he's he's that's the great thing about training these older horses is that you know you get to you know so often we only have them at two and three. Yeah. Um, flat trainers anyway only having the two and three and then and we're supposed to learn everything that, that, that's required in a in a very short space of time uh you know uh w- w- by the time they get to four we should be uh, we should worked out what what they need in every sense and so um uh i think we've 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 worked out what he enjoys we just have to manage it the right way on everybody's favorite topic the whip rules so in an alternate reality if Jim Crowley had used his pro cush once more than the permitted amount, then Hookham gets disqualified and you are handed the King George. However, you wouldn't have got it on the day. You, Judmont, and Rob Hornby would not have been able to celebrate an epic King George success for all that I'm sure you wouldn't want to win it that way. But surely that's not satisfactory. It's not satisfactory for you that you wouldn't get to embrace that victory in the moment on the day. And it's certainly not okay for the punters who would have backed Westover but wouldn't have been paid out. And the reason I bring this up is because the French have just changed their rules. If a jockey excessively uses the whip over the permitted amount, they will be disqualified on the day. Surely that has to change in Britain. There's there's a number of layers to this. Firstly, Rob broke the rules as well. Yes. He went one over. So it, 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 that's the first point I make. So it's difficult for us to be too uh, upset, and there's a wrong word, but you get what I mean, uh, about the situation when he broke the rules as well. The way to answer your question, what I would I what I would advocate is 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 taking the race off on the day for connections, mm. but that all bets stand, because I don't think it's fair that the punter pays. It would not have been his fault that Hookham got, for example, if Hookham had, got, had been taken down as would have happened in France. That I wouldn't be an advocate of that. Um, the punter funds the sport. And it's not it's not fair to make him pay. And the, those who say, well, he broke the rules. Can you honestly say that if Jim had stayed within the rules or hit the horse, hit Hookham as many times or used the whip on Hookham as many times as Rob did? Could you say could you say that Westover would have beaten Hookham? I think that's very in that instance and in any similar instance, I think that's very difficult to make that case with, with, you know, uh, and 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 make it stick. So I that that would be my view. Yeah, I I think the punters are getting railroaded on this as well, quite frankly. Were they to actually be a situation where Jim had used the brocush? We are dealing very much in if buts and maybes. It's first past the post. You're still going to get paid out on Hookham if you backed him. But those who backed Westover... They don't get anything at all. 
Mm. And there's no recourse for that. You can't go to a bookmaker or a betting exchange afterwards and say, hey, they've just given that race to Westover's connections. Why am I not getting paid out? And that makes no sense to me because the BHA are constantly talking about how important, as, as you just eloquently said, the punter is. The punter funds the levy, and yet there's no real regard for them at all. It's very apparent how really frustrated with the process Shikahisa was uh, because she had gone around taking time out of her day to celebrate British racing and promote the sport and then finds out she was within an inch of that being taken from her. Um, I think the entire rule process really needs to be revisited, and particularly the punishments. It is very clear, and on the special episode that we did last week with Martin Dwyer, Tom Marquand, and Paul Struthers, we're now able to categorically prove the narrative from the British Horse Racing Authority that jockeys were consulted before the rules were published. Yeah, technically that's true. Two jockeys were, were consulted, and we can't find any more than that. And they were told, you are not allowed to tell your fellow riders what these rules are going to be. They were hoodwinked into these rules. I would, I, yes, I mean, I take all of that point. Martin Dwyer, in particular, was part of the process in 2011, and he was certainly then an advocate for, uh, for the rule changing to a number of strikes. Mm. Before 2011... My own view, and, and this is why I say this, my own view is that, and it's a number of probably the best jockeys in, 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 in certainly in this country uh, and, and possibly the world. His own, Ryan Moore's own view is that we should never have got to a point where uh, the number of strikes was introduced. Yeah. And he was against that in 2011. I'd like, to, I'd like somebody to ask Martin Dwyer what his view is in 2011 was, because my understanding is that he was very much behind that, uh, behind that uh, 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 initiative then. And, and my own view, is, as I was asked on television uh, during Goodwood, my own view is that settling on, a number, on the number of strikes causes more problems than it solves. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, and I'll put that to Martin. I will ask him that directly. I'd be interested to see what, hear what he says. Yeah, I, I would be too. And I, I would say that people are entitled to change their minds. The PGA Absolutely, have... absolutely. And nobody was, you know, it's easy to say in hindsight, was, yeah. was, was my next point. It's very easy to say nobody was to know how, how it would develop back in 2011. But... It's the law of unforeseen consequences, isn't it? Exactly. And uh, I think the PGA turning around and now saying that the saunas shouldn't be gone is a good example of this, with the BHA then coming out and attacking them, saying, well, hang on, you've, you've changed your minds. You're undoing all this good work. Again, an organization is entitled to change its mind and people are entitled to, ch to change their minds. But I would completely agree with you. Ted Walsh said it more eloquently than you or I ever could when he made that reference to Peppa Pig at Cheltenham Absolutely. with Lydia Islop. Absolutely. Um, that, well. that, that was the mistake. Yeah. Uh, and that was before the, the severe punishments. Let me get to your, your runners at York. Blue Stocking, she's been a, a terrific horse for you this season. She was unlucky at Newbury. She ran a terrific race behind the same horse, Warmheart, at the Royal Meeting, and then comprehensively reversed form with her. But that pesky Ryan Moore had other ideas on Save the Last Dance. Uh, that was a, a heartbreaking defeat. How is she, and how is her preparation going for the Yorkshire Oaks? She's a filly we always have to walk the line with, slightly. You know, she, she, she's a big, strong girl, but like a lot of uh, horses, fillies in particular, by a sire, uh, you know, she's she she's she's a horse that you need to keep a close eye on. Philly, who needs watching carefully, 
and uh, you know we we found with uh, through the year that when 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 we think we're going well with her, we aren't necessarily. You know, she mm. t- she you know you know uh, uh, obviously she ran in the tri- the latest trial she could run in for the Oaks because she wasn't ready, and then she wasn't ready for the Oaks because of of the way that spring had pan- panned out for her. She's not a certain runner next week for that reason. Um, she'll do she'll do something either tomorrow morning or Saturday morning on the grass at home, and then we'll work out whether we, we whether we run on the back of that. I'd like to run her, but she had a hard race at the Curra, and we need to be confident that she's ready for for for, 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 for next week. If she does go, how do you feel about the rematch with Save the Last Dance? Fancy it on faster ground, certainly. Yeah. Um, uh, um, you know, I, I think, uh, I, I think, um, I think the form book says that, uh, say the last dance is, is most effective when it's wet. And I don't think she's going to, I don't think that's going to happen next week looking at the, looking at the forecast, but, uh, let's see, it's all about opinions and, uh, you know, um, she's, she's, uh, I don't think, I don't for sheer grit, it, 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 say the last dance is difficult to uh, difficult to think of one who's as gritty as her in recent years. Yeah, it was an extraordinary performance. She looks like a St. Ledger filly uh, to me. And I know Aidan has been talking the talk about how he thinks York is really going to suit her. But I can't quite get away from your filly on faster ground. And I think that's going to be the, the key. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Hopefully she'll be there. Kinross, wonderful horse and a terrific win at Glorious Goodwood on good to soft ground beating... Uh, Isaac Shelby, who has proper classic form to his name, possibly going to be rematching with you in the Skybet City of York Stakes. How's his preparation coming along? Yeah, he's doing well. Um, he's he's a horse who, once he's running, he doesn't need a lot of preparation. Um, so we're, we're 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 in a good place with him. He seems on good times with himself. And uh, yeah, we're looking on, we're look, looking forward to, to to Saturday week. Yeah, another horse to, to ask you about is Artistic Star, one of the last of the Galileos. Well backed for the Derby, didn't quite happen for him at the Royal Meeting, but he was only beaten six lengths by King of Steel. And then last time out at, at Goodwood, what did you make of that performance in the in the Ledger Trial at the Glorious Meeting? Uh, yeah, I've always, despite being by Galileo, he's a horse who moves like he wants fast ground. Mrs. Harrington trained his full, full sister for Barrett, who won the. Galtres at York, and uh, she was always of the mind that this particular that particular filly needed needed fast ground. I think this horse is the same. Uh, it was pretty soft when he ran at Goodwood, and I just don't think he handled it very well. Um, I know he won on it, but at a much lower level, and he handled it at a much lower level because he's a you know he's a tough, honest, uh, straightforward horse. Um, so I think York will suit him very well. I think um, a dry forecast is it w- will help him, and uh, um, it's just a question of whether he's good enough. Of all of, the- I certainly hope he is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, of all of the horses you're taking to York next week, who are you most looking forward to unleashing? Oh, that's a good question. Every now and again, I come up with a half decent question. <laughs> uh, well, several. I mean, I think the ones the, the aforementioned of the others. Um, I'm looking forward to running King's Gamble, who won on his maiden. At uh, Newmarket, over six furlongs uh, the, the the other week, uh, the Kingman horse belonging to Steve Parkin of Clipper Logistics. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to running him. He's in the Acom, and uh, he'll work tomorrow morning, and we'll decide he might go somewhere else as well. So we'll decide on him. But wherever he goes, he would be one to look forward to. And we've got a few for the handicaps as well. 
um, the nursery on Wednesday, May on eighth. I think he'll go well. If not now, he'll he'll be in, he'll be in, he, he was fifth in the German derby. He could go for the mile and a half handicap. Lone Eagle, he's still in the e-ball, but uh, you know, hopefully we have a good week. Your two-year-olds are absolutely flying it, so definitely keeping a very close eye on King's Gamble. Rafe, an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I really appreciate your time today. Best of luck at York, and please God, we'll be talking to you before the arc and the countdown with the mighty Westover. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Let's bring in a friend of the show, CEO of York Racecourse, William Darby, head of the biggest week of the entire year. William, welcome back to the show. Hello, Emmett. Lovely to speak to you again. Uh, lovely to speak to you as well, William, ahead of uh, such an incredible week. I, I, I truly love this meeting. Um, back in the days when I used to present music radio on Cork's 96 FM, I, I would take two <laughs> weeks off Cheltenham and the three days of York, the Wednesday, Thursday, and the Friday. Oh, uh, that's how, how much I enjoyed, and I've enjoyed being there in the past. I'm looking forward to presenting the coverage on TalkSport 2 this week. Um, yeah. But can you tell us, what's the what's the, the latest build-up like? And crucially, for us betters, mm. what's the latest mm. with the ground? Yeah, yeah. So really busy build-up. We're speaking Monday afternoon, so lots of people on site and dressing the site and an army of sort of white vans turn up for all these big meetings, sort of putting up signage and banners and delivering the food and the beer and all those sorts of things. So a really busy site. In terms of the ground, we're Monday afternoon. We're still good, good, firm in places. We had a really wet July in York, uh, sort of double the annual rainfall for the month of July, and then a bit at a wet start to August, sort of that Goodwood week. But it has dried out, a sort of long, slow dry, I'd call it. And we're we're creeping towards um, sort of perfect summer ground, really, a mixture of good good firm and on the easy side of good firm. It's completely natural. We haven't irrigated and we we don't look like we're going to irrigate now before the meeting. It will go into the ground completely to the meeting on Wednesday, natural ground. I'd say pretty much um, sort of perfect summer, summer racing ground, sort of easy side of good to firm. So you're getting the ground that glorious Goodwood normally gets but was taken from this year <laughs> thanks to the awful weather. And now oh, you're getting that perfect yeah. summer weather. Well, starting off the week, yeah, we, we've got a nice forecast for Wednesday and it looks fine for Thursday. There is a low pressure developing over Scotland for Friday, Saturday. There's a bit of uncertainty to the forecast at the moment as to as to what that will bring us in, in the north of England. So, so, yeah, we are keeping an eye on that because there may be a bit of rain later on in the week. But starting off certainly for Thursday, um, for Wednesday, Jumbo International and Thursday, the Potemps, Yorkshire... Uh, Oaks um, as, as looking like perfect summer ground. And obviously the feature race is the Ebor meeting, literally it's in the title of the festival, but really the feature race is the world's highest rated race, the Jumpmont International. And we don't have the, we don't have the quantity, but we absolutely have yeah. the quality. Just from your own perspective, are you a little bit disappointed that it's just the four runners? I think you'd always want more runners than that, Emmett. And and um, you know, yes, we we would like more 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 horses in it. But the but the fact is, they're they're dripping with quality. So so one can understand there are only so many horses at the peak of the of the pyramid. They're they've won eighteen group race victories between them. So they're they're not a shabby bunch. And one of my favourite Jumma Internationals was See the Stars back in two thousand and nine and and that was a forerunner field and and an an amazing performance by See the Stars 
beating master craftsmen up the straight. So um, so it doesn't mean it isn't an interesting race, but but of course we would we would like eight runners for betting purposes and whirlpool. Um, so we are you know that that is a fact, and and we'd like more runners, but the runners we've got look look fabulous quality and very interesting you've got the the three-year-old the older horses the fillies and the dante winner so um you know it's a it's a conundrum nonetheless but um but that's where we are racing tv we're putting out the closing stages of the see the stars jumpman international um today on on the tweet machine and this is how mm. much of a dumb dumb i am i re-watched those closing stages and was like cheering on see the stars yet again and forgot it was a forerunner race. Until you I, just know, I know, I know. And moving into the final furlong, you know, Master Craftsman looked like he had Mick Canan. Um, but then 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 Mick press go and see the stars sort of blitz for, forward and part of that amazing three-year-old career. Um, and when I came across to Ireland last year, I went to see see the stars at stud and he looked magnificent as a stallion. So what a horse he was and John Ox trained him so beautifully. Yeah, yeah. As oh. I say, one of my favorite job months. Yeah. Some yeah, yeah. some story. It really was some story. Um, question is, though, who's going to come out on top this year? It's a tricky enough question to be asking you because you're mm. supposed to be impartial. But Aiden <laughs> is, is going for his fourth win in the last 11 years. He's won plenty of them, of course, in the past. Yeah, uh, I yeah, think he's going to do it again one for Paddington. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. he'll do it again with Paddington. But you must be Jeez. thrilled that he's going yeah. to be there. Yeah. yeah, thrilled that he's there. I mean, and as I say, five Group One, uh, five, looking to complete a five Group One sequence, unbeaten this season. Um, obviously, he ran over the ten furlongs in the Coral Eclipse. So um, he he's done the distance before, but maybe a, a different opponent. Some um, opponents to de- for for the Jump International assignment. It looks a looks a tough assignment, and uh, obviously he's run a lot in a in a short space of time. So I think it will be a real test for him. Um, I don't think he can fail to be impressed by the Prince of Wales's stakes, Mister Mister at, at Royal Ascot. So um, and obviously the filly is one one group ones are plenty so she comes here with holly doyle on um nashua and and the foxes with an impressive albasti equal dante winner so i think it won't be an easy assignment um but but he is an eye-catching horse paddington um obviously with the name and the breeding and the and aiden's sort of as you say strong strong record in the race um i think he's a, he'll go in as a favorites chance but but you know it'll be fascinating to see how the race develops is paddington bear going to be taking the trip to york as well i we have sent people to deepest darkest peru and he is coming to he is he is due to be on the Naismar. Um, so we, yes, yes. And I think that, that brings it home to a different generation. My kids are interested and, and hooked by the name, of course. And we have the Paddington music on standby and, and, um, marmalade is a plenty. So yeah, we're making, we're making a bit of fun of it. Um, I know Goodwood did a great job of that as well, but, um, but you know, if it engages a different um cohort in in showing an interest in racing why not um you know we saw what frankel did and the sort of cut through he achieved um in 2012 so so you know if if paddington can do half as much as what frankel did then that would be a good job there's a great power to that name as well like frankel was obviously named after bobby frankel and we would know mm. that but for the general public mm. they they might not know who the late great bobby frankel even no. was um certainly not no. in, in the uk americans would uh, Bayid, mm. an incredible racehorse, doesn't 
really have a name yeah, that rings yeah. with the public. No, no, Paddington no. is a name that can really ring uh, with audiences. Yeah. And how yeah. many young fans are going to be out there who are going to uh, fall in love with the sport because of him and the name? I hope so. And I, I think Aiden gets that and is being very good with We all saw the pictures of Aiden and Paddington there as well as, um, and he gets the, the importance of the future. And, you know, the, a great thing of our sport is under 18s come through free. And that's the same with us at Ebor at our flagship meeting. We don't, we don't change the rules for our flagship meeting. And, and we hope families during the school holidays will come and see see the horse and the bear and and you know enjoy enjoy some top class racing um how many times you know, you can't take your kids to a premier league football match for free so i think it's a great asset of our sport and as you say if it engages a few a few of the youngsters in the sport and that's their entry to the sport then then that's all to the good yeah, and kids going free is a massive, massive advantage and a great thing to point out, particularly when it goes all the way up to under um, to eighteen year, year old. That that's a, a fantastic incentive to be offering. Uh, what kind of a crowd are you expecting this week? Yeah, we're, we're, we're ticket sales have gone well. We've got a bit of a fly in the ointment, Emmett, that there is a rail strike in in Britain on the Saturday, which is unfortunate, Ebor Saturday. But um, so that's a, a slight fly in our ointment, but but. You know, it's going to be a good week. Uh, I think race fans will make sure they get here. A lot of people, as you said earlier, come and stay for the week. And York's a, yeah. a beautiful city to stay in as a mini break. So we hope that doesn't put people off of of what traditionally is the busiest day of the week, the Ebor Saturday. Um, but uh, yeah, ticket sales are going well. We've had a good season so far. Um, we had a really big crowd at our last meeting at the end of July. So so we hope that carries through to the week but really it's it's sort of about the quality of the experience for this um for this meeting about the quality of the action on the track and um you know the 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 flagship races which as you say sort of feature in the the top races at the end of the year and and the best horses that will win the big awards at the award season you know those are the horses that Yorkshire racegoers will really want to see and, and see compete on the nice mark. And you very kindly gave us three pairs of tickets to give away for a cool mm. Nunthorpe day. I can announce the winners now, picked by Trish. This was not me. <laughs> I didn't want the pressure of it, quite frankly. Um, uh, Mark Lawton. Is Mark Lawton from Preston? Is that right? Or Preston? I've butchered that. I'm so sorry, Mark. Uh, yeah. Clywood Avenue. It sounds Welsh. Uh, Mark Lawton, congratulations, and thank you very much for listening to the Final Forum Podcast. Pat Cullity. He's going to have to fly over from Cork. Well done, Pat. Uh, there are two tickets on their way to you. And Camilla Horsfall. Congratulations, Camilla, from Norfolk. Uh, two tickets on their way to you as well, courtesy of ourselves and York Racecourse. William, of, of all the York Ebor festivals that you've worked at and indeed enjoyed as a fan, what's the one moment that stands out most of all for you? Oh, no, no, no prizes for originality, but it would have to be Frankel's Jumma International in 2012. Just um, an amazing, amazing magical atmosphere with with the horse, with the owner and the sponsor, with the trainer, Sir Henry Cecil, in his his last last season when he was here on the 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 Navesmar, um and, and Tom Queeley's amazing ride and the opposition that he beat um so that was a, a magical day and and you know one one that that is hard to hard to shift from the pinnacle but we'll see whether Paddington does that this year yeah no pressure on on, on him when he's being compared <laughs> to Frankel that was incredibly special though and and particularly like the, the horse was 
unbelievable. But that connection yeah. with his trainer, like Sir Henry Cecil, yeah. was such a gentleman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Henry was such a gentleman. He was in such poor health that day, but he, you would, he was so determined to to be here. And and the horse obviously was was giving him a reason to live and a reason to to be there. And 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 Prince Khalid Abdullah was here, who obviously sponsors the race for thirty five years and 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 owned the horse and had you know named him as you said earlier after Bobby Frankel. Um, so it was an incredibly special day. Um, Lord Teddy Grimthorpe, Lord Teddy Grimthorpe, who was both um, Judmont Racing Manager and Chairman of York Racecourse, said said at the begin at the start that he had two jobs in the world, world, and he was worried that you know if it all went well badly that day, he might have lost both of them. But um, thankfully, it went really well, and Teddy, Teddy, um, you know, Teddy was great in relaying the story of Frankel to the to the wider world. And you know, we had a fifty percent uplifting crowd that day. People from all over the north. Coming to coming to see the horse and to see Sir Henry, and um, it was an, a magical day. It's just proof that it's the equine stars that drag the fans to the races. That's the thing mm. that we should be celebrating. That's the yeah. thing we should be pushing yeah. most of Absolutely. all. And of course, uh, the incredible personalities around them. Cancer is such a yeah. bloody yeah. brutal thing. Yeah. It, it took yeah. Bobby Frankel yeah. and it and it took Sir Henry's promise as well. It's just. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as for as but for in Teddy, terms of personalities, Emmett, we got um, obviously like a lot of places. Frankie's last last ride ride on the Naysmar, <laughs> so we're looking forward to seeing that the 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 valedictory year goes on, and um, so we'll we'll give him a send off from from York, and obviously Andrea Zinia, who's riding out of his skin at the moment, his last big meeting before he heads off to hong kong so we wish him well he's got a tremendous record at york andrea and picked up that good ride big evs the two-year-old in the cornwall mm. unsought yeah he is going out in style and as for frankie i'm pretty sure the hotels uh nearby york will all be celebrating this is frankie's last trip to the sauna at this hotel this is Fra- that's everything is frankie's <laughs> last uh, as for as for Teddy Grinthorpe uh, being afraid that he was going to lose his job if things went badly with Frankel that day, he had a real sweat on his hands, didn't he? He had a real sweat on his hands. Just the seven-length win for Frankel. Unbelievable <laughs> stuff. Um, William, best of luck to you and your entire team. I know that every race course puts in huge amounts of work, but I know the effort that you and your entire team do at York really is tremendous. You put on a fantastic show for the fans who, who go, and I, I hope you're, you're inundated uh, with the crowd this year. It's set to be a blockbuster. Best of luck with the Ebor right. Festival. Thanks, Hemet. Really appreciate that. To behave, to behave, to behave yourself. Grow up! Oh, well, it's going to be a pleasant evening for the booby when he gets back home this evening. She'll be cowering in the corner already, I should think. You'll be right later, back <laughs> the old champagne fridge opens. Behave yourself, you fool! All the mud blaming, you know it now. When the real the hold you down, you're supposed to drown. Damn. Well, that's why you don't know anything about racing, John. I, I don't say I do. Right? I'm saying that what, what if you contributed to racing? You're one of these checkout merchants. Bave yourself, you fool! Leave a pretty girl sad reputation. Start a fight club, bad reputation. To keep your name, John, you're always up and up things. Right? You are. You're a farce, and so is he. He knows nothing about racing. This man was a brave man. He was a non-achiever and knows nothing. Bitch. The worst thing is I just I had to stick up for Luke as a rider. Now that, that is ridiculous. Save yourself, you fool! Oh, back in the glory days of live TV racing coverage, Big Mac. 
The late, great Big Mac at his absolute best. Uh, Lucy Russell Hughes is alongside me as we break down the key races to look forward to for the week uh, at the York Ebor meeting. Uh, Lucy, we'll begin with the Skybet Great Voltager Stakes. The best odds are currently available are 11-8 about the Royal Ascot winner Gregory for John and Thady Gosden. Uh, Frankie DeTore on board. I believe I'm interviewing John Gosden for TalkSport 2 tomorrow. Is that right? Apparently so. Excellent stuff. Uh, continuous for Aidan O'Brien and Ryan Moore is 5-2. to two. I like this horse a lot. Um, he did not come up trumps at Royal Ascot, but I thought that was a good run behind King of Steel. Uh, Castleway for the Godolphin team. Oh, Charlie Appleby could really do with a good horse to emerge this season. Uh, I was sent an article that Matty Playle wrote in the Racing Post. It might have been in the Weekender. It was an excellent piece. Uh, just breaking down what a, what a miserable season it has been for Charlie Appleby. Uh, and I did not know this. They spent 25 million guineas last October and in Tattersall's book one on two-year-olds. How many of those two-year-olds, Lucy, are you pointing at and going, oh, can't wait to see that one again. Can't wait. There's a potential group one winner. I don't, I don't know. I'm not saying there isn't one there, but dearie me. Uh, Rafe Beckett and Rob Hornby. Of course, we just spoke to Rafe. Uh, he's got artistic star in here, and he said some positive things about him. Uh, and Canberra legend for James Ferguson and Danny Musket is a 25-to-1 shot. They're the current best odds available on the Skybet. Great Voltage stakes the group two. Who is going to be winning, though? Lucy Russell-Hughes. Yeah, I think Gregory, obviously, probably is the worthy favourite if he is to go off favourite. Three from three this season. He's been a, a very good horse on the track, and... He's got that bit more weight to carry than the rest of the field, um, but he was a very, very impressive winner last time out in the in the Queen's Vars at Royal Ascot, and I thought it was a great ride from Frankie because he really sort of chased the horse up to get into the into a good position and, and lead the field from pretty much start to finish. So, yeah, I I do like continuous though, Emmett. I think um, he has really strong claims, and and his run in the Dante will only sort of strengthen that. He was third on that occasion, and. Yeah, he was second behind King of Steel last time out. So, Continuous, I think, has a really strong chance as well. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's the perfect way of summing this up. Like, the one to beat is definitely Gregory. There's a slight concern in the back of my mind about dropping back to a mile four with him. Um, mm. Maybe he will just outclass them and, and overcome it, but he really relished the trip at, uh, at the Royal Meeting. That race is now over a mile six. The Queen's Vaz used to be over two miles. Um, but he relished every single inch of that trip and I just wonder if dropping back having to concede that little bit of weight as well if that's going to be against him um, might not be might not be any concern might just class everything but I'm with you in terms of continuous as well uh, I really like this horse I, I made this point several times in the show I, I loved his debut the race he won at um, Saint Cloud is the race that Christoph Sumion ended up elbowing Ross Ryan in and getting that lengthy ban which, after we called out Christoph for that, he followed me on Twitter. That's the best way to handle your critics. Follow them on the tweet machine. So hopefully we'll get Christoph on the show soon enough. Although maybe when we reach out to them to him to get him on the show, that's when he'll go, Sacre bleu, suck it, I'm not coming on your podcast. Or something to that effect, or whatever the Belgian accent <laughs> is like. Um, <laughs> but I digress. Uh, I, I like this horse an awful lot. I love that performance in France. And I think he's got excuses this season. I think the, the Dante was a fine run behind the Foxes. You're considered good enough to run on a Judgment International now. Um, that was his first run back. Apparently, he wasn't fit. He just bombed out in France. That couldn't possibly have been his true running. And it wasn't. He was better uh, at Royal Ascot. He was a massive drifter that day. 
I think he was something like seven to one or six to one in the morning and went all the way out to 11s because we were doing that race live for TalkSport 2. And just before the off, they clipped him into nine to one. Um, but that's unusual for a Coolmore horse to drift like that and then run so well. So clearly they felt he wasn't quite at his best. Triple suit, ground will suit. There's a bit of class there and they've always held him in, in pretty high regard. So uh, continuous is the one I will go with at, at odds of five to two. Um, just with a slight concern about this trip for, for Gregory. I, um, maybe I'm tilting at windmills there, but I, I like continuous and I shall roll in with him once more and you liking him gives me more confidence. The Jobmont International feature race well, it's not the feature race. The feature race of the week, obviously, is the race that the meeting is named after, the Ebor. But really, the Jumont International is the star attraction. It's the highest rated race in the world, as William Darby was saying earlier on. And um, they've got the right horses. They just didn't get the, the quantity, which is a bit of a shame. But Paddington, 6-4 to four on for Aidan O'Brien's star three-year-old. He's going for his fifth consecutive Group 1 win. And he's a strong odds-on favourite to do so. Standing in his way is the Royal Ascot winner, Mostadaf. Five to two is the best price currently about Jonathan Gosden's horse. Uh, that was an impressive visual performance at Ascot. Be interested to hear what Lucy has to say about him, though, in this race. Uh, and then it's pretty much any price you want about Nashua. That price is currently 14s, but I think if you ask around, you'll get bigger. Um, 14s about her. Maybe that's too big in the way this race is going to unfold. And Oshin Murphy will be on board. The Foxes for Andrew Balding, who was disappointingly held in America, although maybe things didn't transpire perfectly for him that day uh 18 to 1 about the son of churchill for this race uh, look i absolutely love paddington lucy i think he's an absolute superstar um i'll be disappointed if he's beaten here but what is your view on the job Hunt international yeah it's the same we've only got the four runners isn't it because it'll be a, a win only market but yeah my goodness um paddington needs no introduction does he? he's been an out- outstanding horse on the track this season and it's just whether uh, when the petrol's going to run out, I suppose, because he's, he's had a really busy campaign. He's he's won four grade ones on the bounce, which is unbelievable. It's just whether he can, um, you know, do it again, because um, it's going to be another tough ask for him. Um, but I suppose he's only got three runners to take on, which does make it slightly easier. And he's he's receiving weight from two of his next rivals in the market in Motodaf and Nashua. So again, I think there's more positives for Paddington than there are for the the other two in the market. Um, but I think the Foxes is perhaps overpriced, although saying that it is only a win-only market. But the Foxes is is an unbelievable racehorse, really. The fact that he's finished second in the Belmont Derby, he was um, the Dante winner. I think he is possibly a bit overlooked because of Paddington's brilliance, really. Yeah, I quite like him from a forecast perspective because... With the greatest respect to the Gosden team, and like it's great that the Gosdens are turning up. I think it's terrific that Nashua is in here as well. And if she wasn't, this race would be in a real, a real bit of, of difficulty, um, because then you're going back to enable winning her third King George with only two rivals, both of them from Aidan O'Brien's yard. And in this instance, it's Aidan O'Brien taking on Andrew Balding and John Gosden, but two of them come from the Gosden yard. Tady obviously as well. Um, I don't think Nashua can win it. Uh, she might be good enough to finish second, but I I think the Foxes can run a massive race here to finish second. I don't think that's impossible. And I just don't believe Mostadaf's win at the Royal Meeting, he says the day before he interviews John Gosden. Uh, but I just, I don't, I don't believe that performance. And I, maybe I'm very naive and maybe I'm not giving the horse the credit 
that he properly deserves. Maybe he's going to absolutely annihilate Paddington, and I will have to eat humble pie on this show. And um, that wouldn't be the first time I've had to do that. But he'd never demonstrated anything of that capability before. He was a good winner in Saudi Arabia. That was a Group 3. He was a good winner of a Group 3 at Kempton last year. But again, it was a Group 3, and if you wanted to be hypercritical about it, you could say it was a Group 3 on the all-weather. I don't really want to slate all-weather racing like that because I I really quite enjoy it. Um, He'd been a good Group 3 winner at Newmarket and a good Group 3 winner at Sandown in April of last year. Uh, He'd ended his 2021 campaign with a good win at, at Newmarket. But he'd been to Ascot before and just had been stuffed. Like, he couldn't land a glove on Poetic Flair um, in his three-year-old campaign. He couldn't really land a glove on Broom in the Hardwick Stakes last year. And now you're supposed to believe that he's a four-length... He's so good that he's the highest-rated turf horse in Europe and four lengths better than Luxembourg. I just don't buy that. I'm sorry, I, I don't. And even that race, looking back through the form, Luxembourg gets beaten in the King George and pretty well held in fourth place. Adair gets well beaten in a small field race at Newmarket and is subsequently retired. Uh, Baybridge hasn't run since Classic Causeway, just goes out and makes the running and isn't good enough. But My Prospero, there's plenty of people wanted to tell you that My Prospero was going to be a group woman this season. He got duffed at York on his next start. So that, I don't believe the form. I just don't. And we've seen wide margin winners at Ascot before. Um, I love that track, but there's something about that just just doesn't sit right. And clearly the vast majority of people share my skepticism because this is the highest rated turf horse in Europe, the second highest rated turf, second highest rated horse in the world. And if he's that good, Lucy, then five to two is a gift, but it appears as though not many people believe it. Yeah, the, the other thing with Mossadaf is he does tend to run very well fresh or like his first run of the season and then he kind of puts in a disappointing run um he was obviously well beaten in the the arc last year mm. after a win at, in the september states like you mentioned obviously the arc is um similar level to the job international but obviously not as many runners and um not as far in distance so yeah i think there's a few doubts there like you said Emmett, for me as well on mustard after, but obviously he's the highest rated turf horse because the Prince of Wales estates, if you win that, it's I think it is one of the richest races on UK soil, isn't it? Like yeah. the Jumbo International. Yeah, so your status as a horse um is just obviously propelled and that's what's happened to him. And it, yeah, he took his career to new heights when he did win that race last year, but um last time out, sorry, but um he just his form to me, it's just a little bit in and out. He t- tends to run very well, and then next time out doesn't do quite as good. I think it's the identical first prize for the Prince of Wales and the Judmont. I think that they're both yeah. something like 567 grand and change. Um, but it's it's a good point to make. It's not just the prize money. It's the elite status of that race. Like That's mm. why that's why when Coolmore bought So You Think, they specifically transferred him to Aidan O'Brien. The whole point was to win the Prince of Wales Stakes. And the first year, he didn't manage to do it. Um, but the sec- a year later, he did. Um, that's why you try and win those races. And look, I think it's a really difficult spot for the, the ratings guys, for the handicappers. Because you have just seen this horse absolutely blitz everything by four lengths in a hot group one. And you've got to come up with a rating. Um, but I think the, the official mark of 128 compared to 125 for Paddington 
I just I don't really buy that. I think the racing post ratings make more sense. Mastodaf on one three four, Paddington on one three three. That makes that there's more logic to that to me that there's only a pound between them, um, and I think Paddington, I think he'll take him. I think he'll, he's just going to be way too good for him. However, you made a very good point at the very start of talking about this. When's the petrol going to run out? And you spent mm. most of your life around horses, particularly working at Richard Fahey's yard and, and riding out there. So it's unusual to hear Aidan O'Brien talk about Paddington in the way that he does. He's He specifically himself said he's an unusual horse in that normally, particularly one who's been as busy as him, will start to lose weight because the races will, will be affecting them. So they're, you're having to pile condition on. It's the other way around with him. He's gaining weight from these races. He's basically like, more weight, please. I'm just going to keep on going. Um, what do you make of his constitution? And, and do you think it's going to hold up on, on Wednesday? Unbelievable, isn't it, really? He must be a very, very sound horse as well. Um, to take all of that racing as, as well as he had done at the highest level is... Yeah, unbelievable, really. He's obviously by Sione as well, who's sire of the moment, sire of, what was that other good horse, St. Mark's Basilica, etc., um, mm-hmm. etc. Et so Aidan O'Brien obviously knows the family very well, which obviously really helps the way that he can train his horse. But the fact that he puts on, on weight after his races is, again, another unbelievable trait that he has because sometimes you often see that with sprinters, really, not sort of middle-distance horses. And... Um, I suppose he he hasn't won over a mile and a half, but um, I'd like to sort of call him a middle distance horse, really. But I, I mean, he's just unbelievable what he's done. The fact that he started the season off in was it um, just handicap company? The, the Madrid handicap in May. That, that's what surprised everybody. I think off a mark sort of, of ninety seven, Lucy. Yeah, uh, quite similar to Highfield Princess, but the fact that this horse has come such a short short way in a short space of time um it's, it's just all credit to his breeding his constitution as you mentioned he must be very sound and his attitude must be very good as well with this time last year he hadn't stepped foot stepped foot on a race course as my mouth words begin to fail me um like he only made his debut at ascot on the 2nd of september i happened to, i've said this several times i'm sure people are bored of me saying it but I, we happened to be on air that day and I was excited about seeing him because he's got a really nice pedigree. He was well entered up. And it's unusual for Aiden to take a horse over to Ascot for debut. And he just looked woeful. He, he looks like this conversation uh, that is currently going on in, in the public about changing your gender. And I respect all of that. But he didn't look like he even identified as a racehorse. He just didn't seem to know what the hell was going on. He was green as grass. And it's a radical transformation. You know, to go from from that to being a really impressive winner of his maiden to bolting up in the in the Madrid handicap easily, um, progresses into list, into listed company, beats Drumroll, who then confirmed that form, and to even to jump from a listed race into a classic. That's not an Aidan O'Brien move, and I said that to him earlier in the season that that's not your way of doing things. They would come through either a Group One race as a juvenile, or they would have competed in a, in a classic trial of some kind. Um, you're not just pitched straight into a classic. That's what they did with this fella, and he just keeps on rolling. It's it's really fantastic. The downside is he's been so good, we're not going to see him next year. He is definitely going to be off to Coolmore Stud at the end of the season, and that's disappointing for obvious reasons. Uh, if he does come through this test and win it, where would they go, or where do you think they should go with him next? The races that have been talked about, I'm sure 
the Irish Champion Stakes would love him to come over to Leopardstown. I doubt they'll do that. I'm pretty certain I've heard that um, Luxembourg and Auguste Rodin are going to be the main players for that race. For the Edna Bryan team, Luxembourg trying to win it back-to-back and Auguste Rodin obviously trying to rebuild his reputation after that woeful run in the King George. Um, and a Group 1 win over 10 furlongs would be major for him. But the races that have been talk- talked about as potential ones for him are obviously the Arc, which you're going up and trip. The Cox Plate has been mentioned. Um, and they invest heavily in Australia, so maybe they would take that very, very seriously. And there's the Breeders' Cup Classic. So what would you do with them? And yeah, I can't believe that the, the arc was mentioned after he won the Sussex Stakes, I think it was. Um, just shows that's you that nice. it is obviously that's a huge jump up and trip for the horse, but if he was to run in the arc, um I think he has too much speed personally. I think he you sometimes need a galloper in the in the arc to triumph. You've got that many runners as well and often soft ground. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't like to make any decisions uh, you know, about him, but I think the Irish Champion Stakes or what was the other race you mentioned, the Breeders' Cup race over one mile two is personally where I think he would be seen to best effect because I think he's got that that um, bit of speed that some of these mile and a half galloping horses haven't got. Yeah, most people are going to completely disagree with me on this and I get it, but I would roll the dice and go for the Breeders' Cup Classic. And I would do mm-hmm. it primarily because if you win it, it's a major historic achievement for one thing, uh, a European-trained horse who is not bred for the dirt, winning the Breeders' Cup Classic, that would be a major accomplishment in Aidan O'Brien. It would be a massive feather in his cap. And he's gone close to winning the race, obviously, in the past with uh, Giants Causeway. And Declaration of War went really close, too. Um, and it is something they do. Like, they ran Galileo in it. He's down the field. It didn't do anything that day. It didn't in any way tarnish his reputation. They ran Hawkwing in it. It didn't pan out. Churchill went for it. Um... Duke of Marmalade and Henry the Navigator both run, both ran in Santa Anita when it was on the the all-weather surface, and Henry the Navigator ran a blinder to be second. Um, so I think there's a massive upside. Look, the, the downside is poor old George Washington ran at Monmouth and, and met a, a terrible end. The problem there was that track was basically washed away. And Mark Milligan was explaining that sometimes those American tracks are actually built on concrete. And so it's it's just sand put on top of that and so it's literally washed away um and uh i I don't think you can blame coolmore at all for that but that that scarred them obviously and it made them rethink things um but you have to look at the positives and he travels so beautifully in his races he's got speed there is stamina there and he's able to quicken twice in a race so i would run him in the classic and if he doesn't win you lose nothing if he's beaten in the Classic, most people would just go, well, of course he's beaten in the Classic. He's got Manjou on the damn side. He was never going to be able to win that race. But if he wins it, just call the money truck and have it back up to Coolmore because you are going to be printing money. Everybody, probably every breeder who has a mare eligible to go to Paddington wants their mare to go to him now anyway. But if you win the Breeders' Cup Classic everyone is sending your horse to, is sending their mare to Paddington. Everybody. So it, he becomes a license to print money in that in, in that sense. Um, and the commercial side of things does fascinate me. But it would, be, it would be a major historic achievement. And I don't think it's the strongest of renewals, the classic this year. Cody's Wish got beaten the other day. Um, do it. But he's got to come through this one first of all. But Lucy and I think he will. Who's going to be second? I'm saying the Foxes. 
Yeah, the Foxy for me, I mean, because I think there's negatives from uh, Mossadaf and, and Nashua, the fact that um, she's back over this trip and she was a bit disappointing last time out. So, yeah, the Fox is overpriced, perhaps. And the Forgotten Horse, perhaps. Straight forecast, Paddington to beat the Foxes. It's a license to print money. Lucy and I will see you in Dubai. And you can hear the race live on TalkSport 2, 3.35 on Wednesday. Uh, the feature race on the Thursday is the Pretemps Network Yorkshire Oaks. And again, uh, Coolmore are in the thick of things. And of course, Rafe Beckett, who we just had on the show, sounded very, very positive about Blue Stocking as long as they actually unleash her. Um, he was warning that they're, they're giving a careful consideration. But if he does... Sounded very bullish that they turned the form around, and I think they would on this ground. Save the last dance, nine to four. Blue stocking, seven to two. Uh, free wind is a nine to two shot for the Gosden team with Frankie Dettori on board. Al Hussein, uh, who I got badly wrong the last day, uh, glorious Goodwood. I will not make that mistake again. A six to one shot, and then Ross Carberry for the Paddy Toomey team is a ten to one shot with Billy Lee coming over for the ride. Uh, Lucy, your thoughts on the Yorkshire Oaks? Yeah, it'd be great if Save the Last Dance and Blue Stocking go head-to-head again, won't it, the two, three-year-old fillies in this race, and they'll be receiving uh, plenty of weight from the other horses. Um, obviously, Save the Last Dance looked the unlikeliest of winners last time out, um, winning the Irish Oaks, and yeah, she was second in the English Oaks, so she had obviously got a lot going for her. Um, Blue Stocking, uh, I thought, was obviously just worn down in the end, wasn't she, by Save the Last Dance last time out, so it will be great to see those two if they do go head-to-head, and it looks like the market um, is going to be shaping up between those two sort of as as the main rivals. But Free Wind and Al Hussein, I think they're pretty similar as well, Emmett, on on sort of their profiles. They've both been very progressive. I think uh, Free Wind, um, obviously she won the Middleton here, um, I think it was back in May. So she obviously likes the track and she was second behind um, Rogue Millennium. Oh, sorry, she beat Rogue Millennium after that, and then Rogue Millennium has since gone on to what to win since. So the form was very good, but her run last time out, she just needs to bounce back from that defeat at Goodwood when she was, uh, yeah, beaten favourite. And um, Al Hussein has obviously shocked everyone when she won the uh, the Nassau Stakes at a big price last time out. Yeah, that was a huge performance. Um, that I just did not see coming. And I do think if you were to run that race 10 times, you're going to get 10 different results. But it does bring me back to to Al Hussein in that, yeah, I think that that race could work out differently if you ran it 10 different times. Uh, And Al Hussein was given a terrific ride by Jim Crowley. What a costly band that King George band has turned out to be. Um, What is 6.8%? What is 6.8% of £286,000? I hope you're not asking me that, £9,448. So about 19 <laughs> grand Jim would get for first place for Alusane and the Yorkshire Oaks and is not eligible to get that because he breached the whip rule violations in the King George. Um, whip rules that they didn't know were going to be about until they were published. Uh, yeah. And the whole thing is absolute madness. Um, but for all that, I do think that that race could have planned out differently. There's there's a scenario where Nashua wins. There's a scenario where the French horse wins. There's a scenario where Above the Curve wins. Um, she was brilliantly ridden by, by Jim Crowley that day. David Egan takes over with Jim on the sidelines. And Above the Curve ran a cracker in Group 1 in France the other day. So she's backed up that form. I think she's just too big a price. You're getting 6-1 to one about her. 
it's just it's way too big. And when Rafe is expressing some doubt about going for this race with Blue Stocking, then I'll I'll take the six to one about Al Hussein now. Um, if Blue Stocking goes, I'm siding with her over Save the Last Dance. I think ground might be more key to Save the Last Dance than than you'd like to think. Um, obviously, she was beaten in the Oaks on Good to Firm. Um, it's not going to be that surface. It is going to be good. Uh, so maybe she'll get away with it. But her best performances have come on soft ground. Like, that was extraordinary, that win in, in the Oaks. And it was a stunning performance in, in Chester. Uh, to win a classic trial by 22 lengths is unbelievable. But it came on soft ground. So I'm just slightly concerned about Save the Last Dance uh, at the price she is. And Al Hussein is thriving. So at the prices, I'll take her at 6-1. to one. I might even be siding with her on the day as well. I think I probably will be. Um, but a massive respect for, for Blue Stocking. Uh, final selection for you, Lucy? I think it will have to be Save the Last Dance. It's a bit boring, isn't it? But she will be receiving plenty of weight from the other horses. Um, yeah, I see what you mean about Al Hussein because she is on a, a real upward curve. But hopefully Save the Last Dance can pull it out the fire again and, and give another great performance. Yeah, and Edna O'Brien has won this race four times in the last 10 years. He's also won it with some of his best fillies. Uh, back in the in the noughties, he had Alexandrova, top of my head, Alexandrova and Peeping Fawn. Peeping Fawn was a wonderful, wonderful filly. Uh, what a superstar she was. Beaten in the Oaks by Light Shift, trained by the late, great Henry Cecil, and then never beaten in completed starts again. Just remarkable. Quick mention to the sponsor of today's episode, Venator Racing Social. They are the name to trust when thinking of attending horse racing abroad. The aim at Venator Racing Social is to make the world of horse racing more accessible, giving you access to horse racing holidays all over the world, ranging from the prestigious world-renowned festivals to the more unique but equally exciting race courses across the globe. At Venator Racing Social, they pride themselves on offering a bespoke service to all their clients, guaranteeing each and every customer an unforgettable horse racing experience with that personal touch. The team of dedicated racing and travel professionals have traveled the world attending race meetings and sporting events, endeavoring to bring their knowledge and experience to every package, thus giving you peace of mind that you'll be looked after every step of the way along with having access to the best restaurants and hospitality at each racecourse. Venator's huge range of horse racing holidays capture the imagination of racecores, syndicate members, and owners groups alike. So whether you're looking for a five-star gravy train with bells on luxury holiday or a more affordable trip, Venator Racing Social have all the options for everyone, including Irish Champions Weekend, the Arc de Triomphe Weekend, a Vienna weekend tour, which is something I'm hoping to go on. It's not really a racing trip. It's more of an equine trip. Incorporates a show and behind-the-scenes private tour of the Spanish Riding School and visits to the exquisite Christmas markets in Vienna. We fly out on Friday, the 24th of November, that morning. We fly back on Monday, the 27th of November. And it sounds like it's going to be a brilliant, brilliant weekend. I'm really looking forward to that. Next year, they've got the Dublin Racing Festival covered, the St. Moritz White Turf Package. That would be magic. Uh, Cheltenham Festival, of course, and the Dubai World Cup. Now, is 2024 finally the year that I make it to Dubai and get to the Dubai World Cup? I know you're so anxious about that. That is your priority. Is Kennedy going to get to the Dubai World Cup? I don't know. 
but hopefully. Hopefully next year is finally the year that I go. And who knows, maybe you will be there alongside me. Find out more at venator.co.uk. That's V-E-N-A-T-O-U-R.co.uk. Get a list at the full racing packages and indeed various different sporting packages as well. There's bespoke Formula One packages, rugby trips, cricket trips. But for us, it's all about the racing. You can check it all out at venator.co.uk. Tell them the final Furlong podcast sent you. All right, back to the show. Weatherby's Lonsdale Cup. So last year, this race was stolen by a man who's becoming a regular on the final Furlong podcast, Tom Marquand. Stunning performance from Tom Marquand in this race last year on Quickthorn. I really don't know what the jockeys in behind were thinking at Glorious Goodwood. I just, I, and you can come up with all the excuses under the sun. Oh, there's no other horse who has the tactical speed that he has that early in a race. If Quickthorn is really that fast, why is he not running in the Coolmore Nunthorpe? Because it's copium. They all just let him at it on the lead. They gave him way too easy a time, and he said thanks very much and took full advantage of it. It was a brilliant ride from Tom Marquand last year. It was a brilliant ride at Glorious Goodwood. But what the hell they were doing in behind is just beyond me. Um, can he do it again, though? Surely they won't give him such an easy lead this time around. Uh, five to two is the price of a quick thorn. Coltrane for Oshin Murphy uh, and Andrew Balding, 11 to four. Courage Monami, the Gold Cup winner at Ascot. He's got a little bit of something to prove now, although maybe, as Louis was saying, we can't be too harsh on those in behind because they just weren't ridden to best effect that day at Goodwood. Uh, seven to two, Givalato, a 13 to two shot. All these horses who were were well held by Quickthorn the last day. They're all coming for another goal, Lucy. Uh, Elder Algarov is back in there as well. Oh, we had such high hopes for him at the start of the season. Uh, eight to one. Broom may very well return to, um, to this race. Another one who's going to be trying to avenge his his embarrassing defeat the other day at uh, ten to one. Uh, Okata Sushi, the Joseph O'Brien Royal Ascot winner, a twelve to one shot. River of Stars for Rafe Beckett and Russell Ryan is twenties. All right, Lucy. Um, first of all. Are they going to give him another easy lead? Uh, and if not, who do you think is the most likely winner? Yeah, and is the market going to let Quickthorn go off third price in the betting? Because he's, I think, five of his nine career wins. He, he's never been a favourite. So he's... Mad. Um, it's, it's everything about this horse is mad. The fact that um, I, I think he, he obviously can... He's the sort of horse that needs to be sort of ridden prominently. Obviously, we've seen that to good effect. And he, most of his victories, he, he's made all the running. That was unbelievable what he did last time out. He he wasn't um, well fancied. He was obviously, what price was he? About 16 to 1 or something yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. 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 Um, and he's often a forgotten horse in the market. So everything about this horse is, is ridiculous, really. He's very talented. And yeah, it'd be great to see if Tom Walcon can do do what he did last time out and do what he did in the race last year where he beat Coltrane by 14 lengths again another unbelievable performance um, I think Coltrane did the best of of the the horses in behind Quickthorn last time out a good but obviously fin- finishing third was better than what Courage Monami was able to do under Frankie de Tory. so I think Coltrane is a horse that is very consistent never really out of the top placings and um, they're all very good stayers, aren't they? Especially those top three in the market. So um, probably wouldn't put you off having a bet on any of those three. I think Elder Elder off. We haven't really seen um, the best of that horse this season. Obviously, with the St. Ledger winner last year, but he hasn't really hit that heights this year. 
No, he hasn't. And at this point, I'm starting to wonder if he's ever going to hit them. Mm, I just wonder. Again. Yeah, I just wonder. Yeah, it's a fair point to make. Again, like he was a, a terrific winner of the St. Ledger last year. Uh, and he was. Like he he was a very, very brave and, and classy winner of that race. He just, it hasn't happened. I thought that run at York at the start of the season was so promising behind Givaletto. And I expected him to be able to build on that and go forward. And they didn't want him in the market at Ascot uh, for the for the Gold Cup. They didn't really want him in the market against Quickthorne at Glorious Goodwood either. And he's run accordingly on both occasions. Although the Goodwood race, you just can't take seriously in, in that those in behind have had to make up so much ground late on. It's not like you can point at that and say, oh, well, Quickthorne is six and a quarter lengths better than, than Elder Alderov. Um, it's just the way that race unfolded, but I don't know if I believe it anymore in, in this fella. Um, Louis was saying in the review that he's going to pop up, it's going to happen, and to keep the faith with him, but was also saying it might very well be the case that this just becomes like a cliff horse, like very expensive to follow, but he was keeping the faith with him. He may very well be keeping the faith on, with him uh, if he's on air with me on, on TalkSport 2 on the day. We'll, we'll find out later on what the schedule is, but... Um, I don't know if I can risk it for a biscuit again, Lucy. Um, who else appeals to you? Um, in that race, uh, probably if Broom Broom lines up. But I mean, he his last two runs have been a bit disappointing. But we do know he stays the trip, um, so he could well be a danger. But I think if I was to sort of select a horse overall, I think Coltrane. The fact that he's receiving three pounds from Quickthorn off um, might well help him, and he, he has one at the track. He was the Melrose winner back in the par back in the day. So, and as I said, he was the closest of those horses to to finish behind Quickthorn last time out. So, if there's any danger to Quickthorn, I think it might well be Coltrane. Yeah, I, um, I, I tend to agree with you. Look, he's a course and distance winner. They they really fancied him. Um, for this race last year. He was sent off favourite, wasn't he, in the absence of Stradivarius uh, and in the absence of Alan King's horse, Trushan. Once they both came out, they they kind of defaulted to making Coltrane favourite and Quickthorn then went out and did what he did and ended up winning by 14 lengths. Um, but, yeah, he's he deserves a, a big group race success over staying distances this season. Like, he was so good at Ascot when he's come back. He's run an incredibly brave race behind Courage Monami in the Gold Cup itself. And then last time out, he's been held in third, but there's no Emily Dickinson this time. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go with Coltrane as well. But maybe this is the race where Alderov does pop up and we should be taking the price about him. But um, no, I'm, I'm with you. I, th- I think Roland... You can hear in my voice, I'm not exactly adamant and incredibly confident in my selection here. I'm kind of, I'm almost of a mindset to completely do a, a total about turn and be Hippocrates and say, you know what, the bet actually is Elder Alderov at 8-1. to one. I just don't know if I can bring myself to do that. But that that price of 8, the closer we get, the more that's going to just say to me, you're going to feel real stupid if Elder Alderov goes and wins this race and he was sent off an 8-1 to one shot and you could have taken that price. Um, so maybe... Maybe I'll, I'll change my mind. But as things stand, Coltrane, it's going to be a fascinating race to see unfold. Because if Quickthorne does do what he did in this race last year and last time out of Goodwood, then I don't know what they're doing in behind again, quite frankly. But also, 
it's just extraordinary if he can pull that off. Um, and even if if he's not allowed to do that, how is he going to respond? What if they do take him on early on? What if they do say, okay, Tom, we're not letting you do that again, but he still goes and wins? That would be hugely and impressive too. Uh, he, the mo- majority of his wins have all been from the front. So you'd have thought the jockeys by now might have sort of think or know that's how Quickthorn's going to be ridden and likes to be ridden. You'd um, hope so. Maybe, <laughs> maybe he's just that good. He just can never be can never be caught. He's just got such a high cruising speed as well. So maybe that is the case. Yeah. Yeah, possibly. Um, yeah, it's a fascinating race, but having a bet on it, I can't say that I'm... I'm enthusiastic about parting with cash on this race. Um, but I, I'm really fascinated to see how it's going to unfold. And again, live on TalkSport 2 Friday at 2.25. The feature race on the Friday, uh, which our winners are going to. Congratulations and have a great time there. And thank you very much for listening to the Final Forum Podcast. We really appreciate it. More competitions coming your way very, very soon. Uh, the Coolmore Wooden Bassett Nunthorpe Stakes. So the current betting sees the superstar Highfield Princess back in the winner's enclosure. Last time out at Goodwood after those two Really gallant runs and defeat at the Royal Meeting. 13-8 to favourite. Um, and a strong favourite to avenge her Royal Ascot conqueror, Bradsell, at 4-1. to one. Controversial win from Bradsell. The two-year-old and Royal Ascot hero, Big Ebbs, who was really good and really brave at Glorious Goodwood. A 7-1 to one shot, Andre Atzini, who'll be soon departing for Hong Kong, but is uh, totting up the big group wins before he goes. That was a terrific win on Sunday in France. Uh, again, on a glorious Goodwood winner that we think is going to have a, a big, big future. Um, Andrea is on board. Big Evs with Jason Hart committed, uh, obviously, to Highfield Princess. Regional for Callum Rodriguez, a 10-to-1 shot. Twilight Calls, uh, 14s, and Art Power, who had his best chance to win a Group 1 for quite some time in Deauville and completely fluffed his lines. So he'll pop up here now at 20-to-1. Wait and see. Um, the Coolmore Wooden Bassett, Nunthorpe Stakes, Lucy Russell-Hughes, who are you with? I think Highfield Princess again, Emmett, is hopefully going to blitz the field. She won this race last year, uh, beating the Platinum Queen. I think she's receiving one pound from Bradsill. That can only help her. So I, I think there's plenty of positives again for her. Um, obviously, Bradsill was, yeah, fantastic last time at Royal Ascot, winning the uh, Grade One's King Stand, and obviously acts very, very well at Ascot. But he has won at the track as well, York. Um, I think he won on his debut as a two-year-old. So. It's sort of quite similar to Ascot, I suppose. It's quite a galloping track with a long, long straight. So York and Ascot, he tends to run well at. And then you've got Big Evs, who obviously the only two-year-old in the field, um, will be receiving plenty of weight from all the other runners. But um, a couple of two-year-olds in the past have failed to sort of get on terms. I think the Platinum Queen last year was second. Um, who else have we had? I think we've had Chipotle, Eve Johnson-Horton's two-year-old, ran in it a couple of years ago and wasn't able to quite get on terms. So he's got a big ass, big, big abs, but I think um, Hyper Princess might well prove to be just too strong again. And that, that win at Goodwood last time, that would have boosted her confidence a lot. Yeah, for sure. There was a two-year-old winner of this race. I think it was in the noughties. And I'm trying to think who that was. Um, yeah, Kingsgate won. There was Lyric Fantasy. Thank you, Trish. Page up, Trish. Thank you. Uh, Lyric Fantasy in 1992, which was a bit too early for both of us. Um, I was alive, and uh, I would have been 10. Um, I don't think... Were you alive? I don't think you were. Not quite. (laughs) (laughs) 
couple of years later and I would have been. I'm so old. I'm so old. Oh, no. Yeah. We only as old as you feel, Emmett. Uh, yeah, or or as old as the person you feel. Yeah, I feel quite old, Lucy, quite frankly. Um, Kingsgate Native is the one I was trying to think of, but it wasn't coming to me, so thank you to Trish for putting it up on the screen. Uh, that was 2007. So two-year-olds have done it. It can be done. It's tough, though. It's very, very tough. Um, massive weight concession, but the point you made about the Platinum Queen is, is a good one. Um, I think Brad Sill's really interesting. I think Brad Sill's really interesting. Um, I don't buy into the notion that he should have been taken down at Ascot and the race should have been given to Highfield Princess. I think the vast majority of that intimidation was coming right at the very end of the race. And I think he had it won at that point. So I thought the stewards were absolutely right on the day. And it's a coin flip between those two, really. Like, they should fight out the finish. And you're getting 4-1 to about Bradsell. You could even do a scumbag each way bet on Bradsell if you wanted to. So I'm, I'm going to side with Bradsell. But I'm reluctant to because I really like Highfield Princess, and I really like the combination of Jason Hart and John Quinn with her. Um, and you do want to see her win. You know, you do want to see her back in the winner's enclosure. I just think Bradsell might might surprise a few yet again, and that price of 4-1 to one seems big. So I'll, I'll side with Holly Doyle and Archie Watson. Archie Watson's having a fantastic season, by the way. And um, is it St. Lawrence, the Royal Ascot winner? He ran a blinder in a Group 1 in France the other day. In the race that um, uh, our power ran in behind King Gold, uh, nothing went right for Holly Doyle that day. Nothing. She, she met traffic at all the wrong times. Um, and he's run an absolute monstrous race that day. I'm convinced that fellow's going to win a Group 1 before the end of the season. Probably Champions Day. Um, but Holly and, and Archie, I'm, I'm absolutely adamant they will be back in the winner's enclosure in Group 1 company with St. Lawrence before the end of this season. Uh, and, and Archie's, I think you'll win this as well. I think they'll confirm that form over Highfield Princess. Um, so yeah, Holly Doyle and Archie Watson with Brad Sells, who I'm siding with, but really because of the price. I just think that price is a little bit too big. Um, to the Ebor, which is literally the feature race of the entire week, um, and the current betting is Sweet William, 4-1. to one. Uh, Absurd for William Mullins, an 8-1 to one shot. Real Dream, 9s for the Smichael Stout team. Uh, they've had a really rough go of it, particularly uh, owner Saeed Solel. If they were to win this race, it would be minor compensation. I really hope that things work out well for Desert Crown. I think he's in surgery as we're recording this podcast. They had to assemble a team of specialists to, to come and, and, um, and operate on him. That's just brutal. They've waited so long to get that horse back. Uh, I went back through the races he's missed, Lucy, and it all kicked off from the King George of last year. And it's just been race miss after race miss after race miss, injury after injury, all minor niggles. This is not a minor thing at all. Uh, it's just devastating. Um, they were so, so close to getting him back. Um, so I hope he's able to come through that really well and, and thoughts to everybody at the team at, at Sir Michael Stead's yard. That's just brutal. Um, minor compensation is all it would be if this fellow was to go and win Real Dream, but he's an eight-to-one shot for the Desert Crown Connections. Live Your Dream for Saeed Ben-Saror, tens. Dawn Rising for Joseph O'Brien, uh, really a brave winner at the Royal Meeting, 14-to-one. Uh, Jack Finbar, 14s, and Adjuvant is a 16-to-one shot. We could go down through the full list of runners, but we'd be here all day long. Um, right, who stands out to you, Lucy? 
Yeah, you asked me that earlier, didn't you? And I was struggling to just pick one because obviously <laughs> it's a competitive race to say the least. Um, Sweet William, yeah, he's a horse in red hot form. He's he's won his last three, including at Goodwood. And he, he's quite a versatile horse, you know, ground-wise and trip-wise. So he's the type of horse that you want on side for this race. Um, I do really like the Willie Mullins horse, Absurd. Um, I thought he was very good at Royal Ascot, finishing second behind stable mate um, Vauban. And yeah, he's not been at the Willie Mullins yard long. Um, I think this will only be his fourth run for Willie Mullins and he'll be fit as well because he's he's been running over in um, Ireland over hurdles. So he's a huge player. Um, as is the other horse I mentioned to you, I think it was off air a little earlier, was Calling the Wind, who... Uh, was a Northumberland plate winner. I think it would be very, very silly to ignore that horse. And he, the only thing is he's, he's got to bounce back from um, a disappointing run last time out of Goodwood. But um, that was over two and a half miles. Yes, he has run over that trip in the past, but I just wonder whether it does just stretch him back a little bit further. So I'd be really interested to see how he goes back over a trip a bit shorter. I think he could be a big player each way. I agree with you on calling the wind. And the current price of 33 to 1 is just ludicrously big. Um, he ran a mm. massive race at the Royal Meeting behind a horse with no name, who was a terrific winner that day. Um, and Neil Callan gave him a super ride in the in the uh, Northumberland plate. I was covering that race with Tony McCormick on, on TalkSport 2. I was really impressed by him that day. Uh, didn't happen for him at, at Goodwood, but he just never really got into it that day. Um, never really got going, and he was very keen in, in the race. Um, he started to make a little bit of ground up, I think from memory, he starts to make ground up around about halfway, and then just fades out of it. Uh, that can't have been his true running. So, 33 to 1 is, is too big. A lot of joy would be really intriguing if she got in, and that's highly unlikely, probably, so it won't waste too much time on her. Um, but if she does manage to sneak in here somehow... That run in the Irish Cesar, which last year from an impossible draw, was massive. And that would give her a huge chance at 20 to 1. But she's 38, and the maximum field is, what, 22? So unlikely to get in. Um, which brings us to Dawn Rising, who was really, really good at Royal Ascot. It's obviously the extended distance, but he was confidently ridden by Ryan Moore. He was very impressive. He was heavily gambled on, massively back. JP and the lads had it right off with him there. Um, and he's got to be intriguing. But so does the other Joseph O'Brien horse. And I don't know if he's going or not. Uh, that's Point King, who last time out was well-thumped by Vaughan, who's Melbourne Cup-bound, but prior to that had finished in front of Dawn Rising um, in the Savile Beg at Leopardstown in Group 3 company over a mile six, and was only beaten a short head by Yashin. He went really close to victory that day. Um, Dawn Rising came out and won at Royal, uh, won at Royal Ascot. He finished third. Um, and we've only seen him once since, and that was that defeat behind Vaughan the other day. He's still in. Um, I think he's too big. He's way too big a price. He's 50s. So I'll go with Point King for Joseph O'Brien, but I may very well be tipping an on-runner there. I'm pretty certain that Calling the Wind will be going. He would be the other selection. And if a lot of joy gets into the race then 20 to 1 is way too big, but she probably won't. Um, who is the horse you are most confident about tipping between now and your kicking off, Lucy Russell-Hughes? Most confident, probably Highfield Princess, isn't it? The fact she won the race last year, 
she won at Goodwood last time out. She's obviously bounced right back to some really distant form. She's confident going into the race, so uh, so am I. But um, it, it's going to be a great week again, isn't it? It always is. Um, the Ebor Festival at York. It's like their their royal. Well, it's like the Royal Ascot of the North, really. I love that. It's the Royal Ascot of the North. Do you remember when? Do you remember when Royal Ascot was actually held at York? Yeah, well, I don't remember it, but I think my mum went. Um, she she's a she just loves York race course. She's a bit biased being from Yorkshire, but yeah, they they held it there a few years ago, didn't they? I'm so old. Um, yeah, they did. I wasn't there. I was watching it on. It would have been Channel Four, wouldn't it? Um, loved it. It was. I Maybe, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to extend it to some kind of elaborate multiple. So what we, what do we go for here? Continuous in the Great Voltager. I'm a great believer in him. Dare we put in Paddington? No, because he's too much of an odds-on favourite. Uh, Al Hussein in the Yorkshire Oaks. I think she's got a, a massive chance, particularly at the prices. Um, it would be really flip-flopping to throw in Elder Alderov, wouldn't it? So I'm, I'm probably going to go with Coltrane in that regard. Uh, and Bradsell in the Coolmore Nunthorpe. That's the... Let's do the patent. Continuous, Al Hussein, Bradsell. And if you want to make it a lucky 15, throw in Paddington. Away and gone. It's an easy game. Uh, from Lucy Russell Hughes. Thanks, Emmett. Yeah. Um, looking forward to York and obviously looking forward to speaking to you again soon. Absolutely. Sooner rather than later. Uh, thank you for listening. Really hope you've enjoyed the Sauna podcast. If you haven't, have a listen back to it or have a listen to it now if you haven't heard it yet. Uh, some great stuff there from Paul Struthers, um, Louis Stewart, Tony McCormick, Lizzie Kelly. Tom Marquand and Brendan Powell, they're all giving you their time to explain this situation and why it's so negative for jockeys, why it's adversely affecting the physical and mental well-being of our jockeys. That needs to get out there a lot more. So um, we've got a great listenership to the Final Four podcast, but spread that as far and wide as you can. WhatsApp it to everybody in your contact list. I'm sure they'll really appreciate that. Or just go, Basic podcast, what's this? Uh, right, thanks very much for listening. We'll talk to you again very, very soon. We're on TalkSport 2 all week long. Come join us on Wednesday right through to Saturday, uh, bringing you coverage of the York Keyboard meeting. Be safe, be well, look after yourself and each other. Come on.